Amen. Father, we thank you for being here with us today. We thank you, and Father, we have come to meet with you. That's why we are here. Uh, Father, we're not here to meet with each other, though that does happen. We are here to meet with you, and we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak. If you wish, Father, through your body, through picture, word, scripture, thought, Father. So, we had an admonition there, uh, thanking God. That's a personal admonition uh, from somebody. And uh, it's kind of interceding with God for us, uh, kind of talking to God for us. Um, it's very common, and it's biblical, and it's an exhortation. Anybody else have a picture, a thought, or a scripture, anything coming to anybody's mind before we... It was a week of fasting, and it was a week of self-reflection. It was a week where we are supposed to ask God what it is that really uh, he's speaking to us about where we are. Um, We believe that this church at this point, after spending you know, two years praying for an external issue around our district and, and about our churches and about the presence of God in our churches. God is turning inward, very much inward in Mosaic right now, about where we are with God. Where are you with God? Because in the end, that is fundamentally what is most important. And Roseanne mentioned repentance. And Uh, If you've been in this church at all, you know that God has spoken to us very, very strongly over the last year and a half about repentance. Repentance is the greatest gift that God has ever given the church. And it is the least thing we ever hear about. Because we think that it is some kind of an indictment of sinfulness, some kind of indictment of less than, some kind of indictment that we are somehow less than everybody else and that people are going to look at us badly. God's going to look at us badly when actually, like I've said to you before, we go to the doctor and we ask him to find things wrong with us. We actually pay him to find things wrong with us. But yet when God finds things wrong with us, we all of a sudden cower, step back, and, and get this attitude that it is something wrong when it is actually something beautiful because God is allowing us to come into a greater level of sanctification. God's desire is that you and I live the best life we can live. Now, the world's idea of the best life you can live is, I guarantee you, totally different than the Lord's idea of what your best life is. Your best life, and according to the world, very often can be attributed to our income, to our social standing, to our education, and all those kinds of things, you know. And those things are whatever. I mean, we got to pay the rent and we got to live. You know, and you need shelter. It's, it's Nova Scotia. It's not Cuba. You need shelter. Um, but God's idea of what it is to be a successful human being is somebody, and I think fundamentally it always goes back to the same thing. You and I have talked about this before, is being able to lay your head down at night and have peace. To be able to listen to the news and have peace, especially today, where they're trying to sow so much fear all the time to be able to look out into the uh, path and the future of your life and to be able to have a sense of expectation about that. And 
fundamentally this more than anything. Everybody wants, as, as uh, Joni Mitchell sang, everybody wants to get back to the garden. Everybody is trying to get back to that place where they are in unity with God. Because unity with God is the only thing that will make us feel complete. Now, most of you have been walking with God for a while. And with that, many of you maybe have had experiences where you have, as I call it, bumped into God. Now, God is right here today. He is as here as he can be here. But God allows sometimes himself to be experienced in a more kind of demonstrative or a more feeling emotional way. Many of you have had that experience. You cannot live in that experience every day and every Sunday. And if you demand to live in that experience every day and every Sunday, you are demanding a selfish thing. But when God does do it, when he does come in and he touches you in a way that you know it's God, you know what that feels like, I know what that feels like, and nothing can compare to it. It makes you feel absolutely invincible. It makes you feel that everything is going to turn out okay. God spoke to Abraham about three times. And Abraham went on and did what he did. Abraham is a father of the faith way back. And he is the one who started the Jewish faith. He is the one that we were born from. We are, have the faith of Abraham. And three times God spoke to him and he created what he created. I've had maybe two, maybe three experiences in my life where I can say I really bumped into the presence of God. Other times you'll read scripture and you'll feel a little thing or God will do something wonderful where you'll, uh, a prayer will be answered or something will be said or you'll have a confirmation about something you're supposed to do when somebody comes and says something to you and you go, oh my heavens, God is really speaking. gives you those wonderful little moments of knowing. But the fact of it is, We, everybody on the planet, is striving for that, to feel connected to God. And in the striving of trying to be connected, you know, trying to feel connected, trying to feel emotionally alive, and when we choose, don't choose God, we will connect to something. We're going to connect to something, and it has to give us an emotional burst because that's the selfishness of the human nature. We want an emotional fulfillment. We want something. So what do we attach ourselves to? We attach ourselves to drugs. We attach ourselves to pleasure. We attach ourselves to a sense of success. It gives us a sense of pride. It gives us a sense of success. It gives us all these things. These are very sensual things. And that's all that's happening in the world is people are choosing not God, but they know they have to connect with something. They got to connect with something. So they will connect with whatever they can, and they will work like, just work, work, work to make that connection. When God is saying, I'm right here. The Bible actually says, I'm closer than a brother, which is God's way of saying, I'm with you all the time. It is being willing to accept that being willing to stop for a minute and just allow God to speak because you know what he'll do? He'll speak. If you allow him, he'll speak. I tell you, if you bow your head 
tonight before you go to bed or whenever it is you do it, if you bow your head, put yourself in a place of humility and allow yourself to actually say, God might do this, I guarantee you he'll speak. You will get something. Might take longer, might take a couple days, might take 10 minutes. We don't know. But God wants to connect with you, and you and I want to connect with God. One of the wonderful examples of connecting, uh, 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. Elijah, it's the story of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, probably one of the greatest in the Old Testament. Incredible things. Uh, if you read the, uh, his prophecies, just incredible things that God showed him and spoke to him. And I just want to read you one of these experiences. Now, what happened is that Elijah had just done this amazing thing on Mount Carmel, which was a, it's a mountain. I was on it when I was in Israel. It's not really a mountain, but it's high. It's pretty high. And there he did a very, very incredible thing because all of the false prophets from the God that they were worshiping at that time, whose name was Baal, he brought them all together, and they were all up there jumping around and screaming and hollering and, and because he was saying, listen, get your God to come down and bring fire from heaven and get rid of this sacrifice that we've put here. If your God is real, do that. And it was really because they got crazy. By the end of the day, they were cutting themselves, and they were dancing and just crazy because nothing was happening because there is no God named Baal. So... It's all in the imagination. There's only one God. Now, we can make gods out of things if we want to, and we'll follow them like they're gods, and we'll give them all our time, we'll give them all our money, we'll give them all of our mental space, we'll give them all of our emotions. It could be any number of things that we do that with. But in reality, there's only one God. And Elijah was the one who was following that God. So Elijah's out there making fun of them. He said, your God must be in the bathroom. That's what it is. He's in the bathroom, and he's busy. And he's making fun of them. Finally, he says, get out of the way, boys. I'm going to do something. He took water, and he put water all over the sacrifice. And there was actually a trench around the, uh, around the sacrifice, and he filled that with water. And he called on God, and guess what happened? The fire came down, kaboom! Burnt up the stones, burnt up the sacrifice, licked up all the water. It said everything was done. And then just to kind of put the top on it, he killed all the prophets of Baal. Um, now, I, you know, I'll leave that with God. But nonetheless, everything was very well declared that there's only one God going on here. And it is the one that Elijah is following. This is the next day. King Ahab was the king at the time. His wife was a nasty piece of business called Jezebel. And she, uh, you know, one of the things I'm just saying One of the things that they mention about Jezebel is that she wore a lot of mascara. Just saying. (laughs) 
So when you're putting on that makeup, 1 Kings 19, 1-18. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, because she was really running the kingdom, Ahab was, was really a limp biscuit. Um, and Jezebel was running uh, the joint. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So this is the next day. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now, you've got you to gotta get a hold of that. The day before, he called down fire from heaven and killed over 400 prophets. He goes and sleeps on it and wakes up the next morning and is running for his life. This is the human condition. You have it and I have it. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He was suicidal. They're not saying this for drama. The guy was suicidal. He wanted to die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. All the prophets before him had been killed. And I don't know, sometimes you and I think that nothing we're doing is working. Nothing we're praying for is happening. Nothing is going to come good of what our life is. Nothing. You get there. I've spoke to some of you there. I've been there. And it's not a good place. Thankfully, there's a God in the middle of it. And you'll see the God in the middle of this for Elijah also. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. God knows how you're made. And he knew that this this guy had been running for a whole day. And he also knew that if you don't have proper nutrition, the noodle isn't going to work right. When you're worried and when you are stressed, the the front lobal area right here that makes all of the decisions makes you decide whether or not you should go 60 miles an hour down Quimple Road or not. It makes you decide whether or not you should take your child by the neck and strangle them. It tells you whether or not you should do the, the right thing or the wrong thing. It gives you decision ability. And when you're tired and when you are nutritionally imbalanced, this starts getting wonky. I was on a fast. Uh, I think it was like a week fast. And I, at the end of it, I went to this conference. And it's so funny because I'm standing there and I'm talking to people before it, it, it starts. And this person's talking to me and I'm going, are they actually talking to me? Or am I imagining they're talking to me? Like it was real. I did not know. And I said, I'm sorry. Did you just say, da-da-da, and they said, yeah, that's what I said. I said, okay, I'm just checking. And it continued to get worse. So I'm sitting there getting ready for this conference to start, and about 20 seats down in the row, a woman I'd never seen before looked over at me, and she caught my eye, and I looked at her, and she showed me a sandwich. 
I had never talked to the woman before, never saw the woman before. She shows me this sandwich, and she says, do you want this? And I, went, I said, well, maybe I should eat that sandwich. So I go staggering over to her, and I eat this sandwich. 20 minutes later, fine. Everything's fine. Why did that woman give me that sandwich? Why? God told her to give me a sandwich so I would not start running around like a crazy man after another hour of having this dementia go on because my electrolytes were off. I had been fasting and everything was, and God was saying it's time to come off the fast, by the way. Um, so the angel, so he laid down and slept and the, and the angel came and touched him and said, get up and eat. You notice he didn't say, what are you doing here, boy? What kind of coward are you? What kind of fool are you? He didn't say that. God went right to what he needed. What he needed to get his head straight first. He said, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Put that picture in your head. That's the God you serve. Some, a nice little barbecue going on there. Some hot bread on it. And a jar of water. That's the God you serve. Not a pointing finger. God is, he loves us. We're his kids. So he ate and drank and then he laid down again because he was exhausted. How many know when you're depressed, what do you do? Sleep, right? You sleep. And so that's what he was doing. He was sleeping. He was depressed. He was suicidal. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So here he is running, scared to death, man of faith and valor. He's running, and you've run, and I've run. We've all run from what God is trying to tell us to do at times. We've all run in the other direction. And... Sometimes God is telling you to forgive somebody. Sometimes he's telling you to uh, confess something. He's telling you to give something. He's telling you to, whatever it is, he's telling. And we'll run in the other direction. What's so beautiful about this is the second time God again did not admonish him because he knew he wasn't in the place to take it. He was still depressed. He was weak and he needed food. And that's a caring God. See, we just want to correct people all the time. We just want to correct them without knowing that, oh, by the way, maybe they might have an issue. Maybe they might have a situation, right? Somebody's phone is going. We just want to jump in and correct. God wants to jump in and comfort most of the time. (laughs) There is a point where he'll step in, and he does this later on. So then the angel of the Lord came and touched him again. And he was concerned about this journey that he was on, even though it was a journey God never sent him on. He knew that this is what was in Elijah's head. So he said, I'm going to give you strength to to walk this through. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. This man was determined to get away. He was scared to death. And I've driven through that part of the world, and it's all desert. It wasn't, a, it wasn't walking through 
uh, nice roads. This was through the desert with snakes and heat and insects and spiders and all the rest of it. So 40 days, 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. He went to the mountain of God. He went back to the place that Moses had given them the whole law. The whole establishment of his faith and of his life happened at Mount Horeb. He went back to where it all started. He was trying to find out what to do. He was saying, am I crazy? I'm going to go back to where this all started. I'm going to go back where we know God showed up. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to see if God's there because I can't feel him anymore. So he was running back to this place of his history hundreds of years previous, centuries previous, and he was trying desperately to connect somehow with God because it disappeared from him in the matter of one night. He went from this powerful man of God who was able to joke with this cavalier faith and see God move and bang and bang and bang. You're only as good as your worst night. You wake up the next morning and it's gone. And it's so beautiful that God never berated him about it. So he's in the cave. And we don't know how long he spent in the cave, but he's in the cave by himself. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. We, as Christians, sit and look at the world and say, Father, they don't want us anymore. The church is shrinking. The world is trying to kill us. What are we going to do? Exactly the same place. And we are... We are doing, we may not run to Mount Horeb, but we run back and we start going back to the simple, we isolate, we go back and we just do that, those first things again, which isn't a bad thing to do in some ways. But he's saying what you hear this complaint from the church all the time saying, this, this proclamation of weakness, this proclamation of it's finished, this proclamation of, oh, they don't like us anymore. Well, they never liked us in the first place. Nobody liked the real church. The real church was always disliked. Any group of people who stand up and profess the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is this, repent of your sins, confess your sins, and turn to God. Any church that stands up and says that is not going to be liked, even by the church. Now, if we do stand up and say, we're going to show you how you're going to be successful in business, how you're going to be successful in your job, how you're going to have money, how you're going to be liked by everybody, how you're going to be this and this, that church people like. And who wouldn't? And I'm not saying that God does not want to give you those things. He does, but he will not give it to us in spite of our character. 
The relationship with him is the single most important thing, not the relationship with our bank accounts, not the relationship with our neighbors, not the relationship with anything else. The single most important thing is your relationship with God and his relationship with you. And is that actually happening? Right now, it wasn't happening for Elijah. He had given up. He was suicidal. He said, you're not, you're not with me anymore. They're trying to kill me. You're not trying to protect me. And he took everything into his own hands and said, I'm getting out of Dodge, and I'm just going to run. That's what human power does. He went completely to his own thinking, dangerous thing. So God said something to him, really beautiful. God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. They actually moved. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake... There was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Okay, this is, all those things that are mentioned, they're those bang, bang, boom, boom. That's what we want God to do for us. If you do that, Lord, then we'll believe you're here. If you... Come down and shake the building and shake me and cause all these manifestations to happen. Listen, I'm all for manifestations when they're real. And people who are desperate to have a manifestation, I have seen it hundreds of times, will make it up themselves. I was in a grocery store. And a person who went to a church I know very, 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 very into having an emotional experience with God. Every service had to be an out-of-body experience. Not an uncommon person at the time. I'm beside the Campbell soup, and she sees me. So she knows me as a pastor. So in a desperate attempt to have a spiritual reaction, she comes over to me, oh, Jesus, glory, and falls on the floor in the grocery store. Now, I am not mocking that experience. I have fallen on the floor. You have fallen on the floor. Some of you have, and it's been authentic. I have gone up and prayed for people, and before I even got to them, as soon as I stood in front of them, they literally flew back like three feet and landed on the floor. I am all about manifestation. And so I'm, there's people looking at her, looking at me, and I'm going, so the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, you must have broke your heel on your shoe or something. And I'm trying to, I like, I didn't know what to say, right? But God bless her. I mean, she was trying to connect with God. She was trying to think, I, oh, he's anointed, he's a pastor, and oh, therefore I must have to have this reaction because he's anointed, and being anointed, then the reaction would be that I'm going to fall down because that's what I've been taught happens. 
it wasn't her fault. It was leaders' fault. It was the leaders that instituted that. I would love nothing more for when you walk through this door next Sunday to come in and fall flat on your face right there. I would love nothing more. I would love nothing more than someone to roll down these aisles under the power of God or jump up and run around here, go out in the street and run around the neighborhood. I would love nothing more if it was real. If it was real. I have no problems with it. But as if we want rocks to move and fire to fall and smoke to billow and all this stuff, God is saying, apparently he's saying here that that is not what is important to him. It's important to us, but it's not what's important to him. And if we insist that God gives tickles us and gives us these emotional experiences then we are going to miss God because he will not bow to our demands. And the world is, like we said, is running after an emotional response in their life. They're so desperate to have something make them feel good that they have gone to extreme measures with food, consumerism, materialism, Whatever it is that's going to make us feel good for a few minutes. The emotion, the emotion is there. There's a dopamine center that goes off. There's something goes off. And we are after those little dopamine surges. We're after that to tell us. And you, we don't even know it's happening. When, do you ever notice you go buy uh, fried chicken or something and all of a sudden your mouth starts to water? Your body is making an involuntary decision. It's saying, I want that, and I'm going to prepare myself for that. And we love those little things. We love them. And so the emotional stuff that God is showing here with the rocks and everything, listen, there's a time for rocks to split, and there's a time for all that stuff to happen. But what God is saying to this man who is his dear beloved son, who is going through a depressed time, and who is running from him, and who is trying to find his place in the world again, he's saying, no, what I want you to hear is the whisper. I want you to hear the whisper. And what's beautiful, Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He did something humble. He humbled himself. Thank you for how quiet it was before the service today. God said something to me on, and I can say, I don't like saying God told me. Because people who say God told me all the time, you just they kind of make me a little bit nervous. But sometimes God really does speak. And he, you know, in your conversations and stuff. And when I was praying the other day, God said, Keith, I am not asking for quiet before the beginning of the service. I am requiring it. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, Why are you so serious about this all of a sudden? Say, because I'm trying to teach something. I want to bless my kids. And one of the ways that we are blessed is when we come into his presence with humility and with reverence 
and it's a willful act. Um, you know, I've had, today was a great day. Everybody was pretty quiet. I've been here where it's like a bingo's going on, and there's people trying to pray and center and focus, and there's people praying over people, and there's people talking to people, and there's been, and I'm just going, Father, I know it's grieving me, and come to find out it's grieving God, too. Because, why? Not because he wants to whiplash us into obedience. It's because he's trying to bless us. He wants us to hear his whisper. He wants us to hear the whisper. And what is the whisper saying? The whisper is saying, I'm with you. I love you, and I'm with you. The voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) What are you doing here? God knew why he was here. He wanted Elijah to say it again. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and they've killed every one of your prophets. They've closed the churches. They've taken prayer out of the schools. They've done all this stuff. I am the only one left. We're the only church left. We're getting so small. We're all so old. There's not going to be anybody in the church. Everyone's dying. What's going to happen? We don't have any young people. Trust me, God's kingdom and his continuance of his kingdom does not depend on young people. Don't be deceived by the world's infatuation with youth. It is a cultic thing. It's a sensual thing. It does have its good things because young people can lift things. They can move things. They can go upstairs. They can go downstairs. But the fact is, God's kingdom... (laughs) Yesterday we had our Abide series and everyone came and I said, we got to do it downstairs. And they all went, oh, man. And they're going down the steps. and (laughs) We made her, though, didn't we? We made it. We got through. But the fact is... God's kingdom does not depend on young people, and the church is falling all over itself to make the church something that young people like. What the kingdom will depend on is older people who know God and know how to pray will pray. That's what will turn the kingdom around. The few have always changed the many. The few have always been the blessing that God has worked through. You don't need a mob to achieve God's purposes. You don't. And the the church's infatuation with numbers right now is an absolute, it's a disguise of something else. Do we want people to come and know Jesus? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. But numbers does not mean that we are succeeding. Or Hitler would have been right. Don't underestimate the ease in which you can, cur- you can get a crowd. It's a pretty easy thing to do. All you have to do is make it comfortable. Don't cause it to cost them anything. Tell them everything's going to be great. Be wonderful and cozy. And you'll, you'll get a crowd because people do want to serve God. You know? I really do believe people want to serve God. We just have to make sure he's, they're getting the right one. He's not the Costco God. 
Then the Lord told him, this is what the Lord says to him at the end. And we'll close. Go back the same way you came. I love what you thought, and I know you were upset, and I know you thought you had the answer, but go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. Told him a different way. Didn't want to go back the same way. Didn't want him to go over that ground again. Didn't want him to remember that bush that he was wanting to kill himself under. Didn't want to go back that way. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, the king, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of whatever that is, to replace you as a prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha, the next prophet. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Trust me, God's got his church. And God's got the resources for you to continue going on. God's got everything you need. And just understand that if you're waiting to hear God, maybe it's in the quiet you're going to hear him. Don't run here. Don't run there. Don't run to that conference. Don't run to that church. Don't like just stop and lay your head down at night or kneel and just say, God, speak to me. Show me. And he may speak through a picture. He may speak through a phone call from somebody. He may speak through scripture. He may speak through a voice just speaking to you in the middle of the night. You want to hear a great story about that? Talk to Sean about actually hearing the voice of God verbally in the middle of the night. God can speak to us. He is deeply interested in you and I. And if we'll stop and listen, he'll speak. Father, we thank you for what you're saying to us today. Father, we thank you. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will come and you will confirm whatever it is, whatever part of this you are saying to us individually. I pray it be confirmed today. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. And that you see us when you're weak and you're willing to help us. You're not there to judge us. You're going to help us through our rough times. And then when we come out of it and we're strong again and we've heard your voice again, you're going to send us back in. Father, you never give up on us. You never give up on us. So, Father, we thank you because today you are saying to somebody in this building today, you thought it was over, but it isn't over. You thought your ministry and your effectiveness and your ability was over, but it's not. I just really believe that God is saying to somebody that what you thought was finished is not finished. That you still have stuff to do and God is not finished with you and you're not finished with God. And Father, I also feel to pray forgiveness that there are people here that need to know they're forgiven. That God is not counting your sins. He is washing them away. And Father, I just ask that anybody here today who feels that they need to just ask you to come into their life and wash the old stuff away. And to come in and put new stuff, God's stuff, good stuff in there. I pray right now that, Father, you would 
hear their yes to you in their heart. As they say, Father, I may not understand it all, but I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to give it a try. I'm willing to turn around. I'm willing to go in another direction. Father, I say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In the gentleness that you speak to each of us. Father, in that whisper, we love you, Lord. We thank you for what you said. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God is good. Yes, and God's not asking us to do anything grand. Most of the time, what God is asking us to do is quite different than what we think we should do. Oh, I should go over and help my neighbor, and oh, I'm not a very good Christian because I haven't helped my neighbor or whatever it is. And you just get all these weird ideas of what holiness is. When God is saying, well, really, all I want you to do is just spend five more minutes a day in prayer with me. But if God is saying that, and it kind of jives, Willie, with something I was writing this morning, journaling before service. And I was thinking about this being quiet before service and how it's so difficult to get people to do it. And he said, we in the West have been asked to do very little as a Christian. Paul said to the church that he was talking to, he said, have you yet shed your blood for the sake of your faith? When you think of what it costs you and I in Canada to serve Jesus, we should hang our head in shame. And then we can't get to church. We won't give money. That's about the only sacrifice that you see in most churches that people have to give money because it's the thing we have, and thank God we have that to give. But really, God was saying, you are required so little in the West. When you think of the people of what they're suffering in Syria, the Christians, what they're suffering in Africa, what they're suffering in camps, what they're suffering in China, and all the stuff that people have gone through to be a Christian. And all God says, can you maybe come to church once a week? An hour and a half. I don't want to be facetious about it because Willie had a real thing there. But so if God is saying something that you need to do, we pray, Lord, show it to us what it is God is asking us to do. And uh, there will always be a reward with that. There will always be, you know. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. You know what it is. So God is speaking through the word to us. Let us know what it is. You know, through the week, God will probably reinforce that. Um, we are going to have our AGM at the end of the service, uh, annual general meeting. I guarantee you it will be no more than 20 minutes. They, we have the most quick AGMs. Uh, so uh, we'll have that at the end of the service. And uh, Rhonda? Yeah, okay, we'll pray for him. It's a bigger issue. Yeah, it's a bigger issue. Um, does anyone have, if anyone has a health issue or knows somebody with a health issue, just want to stand and we'll pray for them? Standing is an act of faith of believing that God is going to do something. Father, you know the people who are standing right now, and you know the issues that they are uh, standing for. Father, we believe 
in the power of your spirit over illness. And Father, in Jesus' name, I speak healing. I speak healing that these conditions be healed, Father God. Quick recovery, disappearance of issues and conditions, and changed messages from the doctors. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we'll take up an offering, and we have the baskets right here, and there's also the toonie, toonies or loonies, whatever you want. That's for Cuba. Put the money here or in the basket at the back. Way we go, Liz.